following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bible this morning, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. We are going through um, the miracles of Jesus. We're looking at the compassion of Christ. We are on part number nine right now. Uh, we will be wrapping this up next week. Haven't you been blessed hearing about the miracles of the Lord and the way he moved in people's lives? And that, that common thread that we've seen on just about all of them whenever people responded in faith, whenever people moved in faith and God saw that they were moving in the direction that he wanted them to go in, that's when he intervened and said, all right, I truly believe that you trust me now. I see your act of faith, and that's when Jesus began moving in people's lives. And I think God is still looking for that right now. I think he's looking for certain individuals that will acknowledge him in prayer, that will seek his will, and that will fully submit to his ways. I didn't time it this way, but I think this morning's sermon goes right along with our Sunday school lesson. We saw three different kinds of faith this morning in Sunday school. We saw a humble faith. We saw a bold faith. And we saw a desperate faith as well. I I was blessed by that Sunday school lesson this morning. We saw three different people that Jesus interacted with. He brought healing to their life. And it was on three different levels of faith. So as we're thinking about that concept this morning, I I want you to think about where your level of faith is. When is the last time that you've humbly come before the Lord? This religious leader, this powerful leader in the community, he knelt down at the feet of Jesus. He said, Jesus, nobody else can help me, but I believe with all my heart that you can. And then we saw a woman that just kind of out of the clear blue throughout the crowd, she thought if I could just touch the hem of his robe that I'll be healed. And Jesus saw her act of faith and he healed her because of that. And then we saw two blind men. They were desperate. They couldn't see where Jesus was, but they could hear the crowd. They could hear Jesus' voice, and they came to him. They said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. When is the last time you've asked God to have mercy on your life? Or maybe on the life of someone else that you love dearly and that you're praying for them. God, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they've been. They don't know where to go. Have mercy on their life, Lord. So we see this morning one final miracle that we're looking at. We'll look at one more next week. But this one here happens during the Passion Week. This one happens as Jesus is making his way closer and closer to Jerusalem, to his ultimate destination on the cross of Calvary. He had made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He had purged the temple and then began healing there. He goes back to Bethany one day, and on his way back from Bethany to Jerusalem the next day, he wakes up hungry, and he curses a fig tree, and the fig tree withers away. So not too long ago, uh, I used a sermon illustration. There was a a plant that I had gotten a couple of cuttings off of and started it in some dirt. Man, it was growing. It was beautiful. It was big. It was vibrant. I had to move it to a bigger pot, and it was right there at the front door of my house. Well, I was proud of it. I mean, this thing was this big around. It started off as just a little old bitty stick and a cutting. People that asked me where I got that from, what I was doing, what I was feeding, they would want to get cuttings off of it to start their own. Just a few weeks back, though, something happened. It started dropping leaves. 
I kept watering it and watering it, and it just kept losing leaves and losing leaves. And finally, a little white powdery substance began growing on the stem that let me know there's something wrong with this plant that it can't avoid, it can't help, and it can't cure itself. So now it's in the backyard. It's not by the front door anymore. But over a period of time, because this blight had set in on it, it started withering away. This tree that Jesus curses, it's not a normal fig tree like we're used to. It's not the little bush. It's a big, huge tree that you could actually climb up in. Most people believe that this is the type of tree that Zacchaeus climbed up in. The Sikayune fig tree is what we're talking about. So what does this mean? What is the overall lesson that Jesus is trying to teach? First of all, he, he has this one last opportunity to give his disciples a lesson on what kind of faith it takes to do miraculous things. He teaches them one final lesson, and he gives a vivid illustration. The most unique thing about this miracle is this. It's not just a miracle, but it's a it's a parable, and it's a miracle all rolled up in one. And so I think that the lesson that, that God has taught me about this is this. Is there ever a time when God removes his hand of blessing off of a person? Off of a church or even off of a nation. Because that was, that's what we see through the prophecy of this miracle that Jesus performs. So if you have your Bibles this morning, it's all open to the book of Matthew 21. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And if you're glad that you have a copy of God's word to study on your own, just, just shout out amen right now. And we truly believe that this is God's word. It's without error. It's inspired. And it is given to us to learn from. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 18, the word of God tells us. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, the city being Jerusalem, he was leaving from Bethany, as you'll see up in verse 17. Uh, as he was lit, returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road... He came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered. So this account is actually found in Mark chapter 11 as well. Mark describes it like this. He said it was rotten all the way down to the roots. It wasn't just the leaves that fell off of it, but the entire tree rotted down within a 24-hour period. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord God. We thank you for your blessings in our lives. And Lord, we want to be productive. We want to be fruitful. We want to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. We want to see a bountiful harvest, Lord God. We want to be a part of that harvest. So your word tells us, Lord God, that we'll only sow what we reap. I pray, Lord God, that we'll be diligent in reaping the gospel 
as much as possible, as often as possible, and to as many people as possible. And I pray, Lord God, that you would find us vibrant as a church, flourishing, growing, and impacting lives in our community, Lord God, for the sake of your kingdom. And I pray that as we look at this miracle, this parable, this lesson, this prophecy that you have taught, I pray that we'll learn from it, Lord God, when we closely heed the warnings that are embedded within. We love you, Lord, and we just turn this service over to you. We ask that you'll speak to us now in every way possible, and we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the tree in Scripture is often found many different times. We, we see the olive tree. We see the fig tree. We see Jesus using the analogy in John chapter 15 as him being the true vine and us as the branches. So the fig tree here acts as a prophecy to the nation of Israel. Israel had become complacent, stagnant, and it was not producing the harvest that God had created it to do. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And so Jesus is dealing with religious leaders. And it just so happens that after Jesus had purged the temple of all the money changers, I mean, he just went in and he cleaned house. He said, uh, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And after he purged the temple, after he removed all the money changers, it's, the Bible says that then he began healing those who were lame, those who were sick, those who were deaf. But here we see several different things in this one passage. There's five different points that I want to point out in this passage here. First, we see the actual dilemma that is created and mentioned in this passage. Now, in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And so both Matthew and Mark record this event chronologically as taking place during the Passion Week. It would have been the springtime of the year. The particular tree that is involved in this story, uh, they say that it would put on the fruit first, and then it would put on the leaves. And Jesus actually used a fig tree to demonstrate the coming of the end times. He said, you know the seasons, you know what's going on, you can tell by looking at things around you. He said, you know that when the fig tree is putting on leaves, that the summer is near. He says, even so, with the end times, you can be able to see the events that are taking place and know that the end of time is coming near. But here both gospel writers point out the fact that it had leaves but no fruit. And so as a miracle, it presents the humanity and the deity of Christ. Jesus wakes up in the morning. He's got a lot to do. He's got a lot on his agenda. But both gospel writers say that he was hungry. The one who created the fig tree, the one who spoke the fig tree in existence, wants something to eat from the fig tree. So this reveals the humanity side of Jesus Christ. Not only was he fully God, but he was fully man as well. Breakfast is what? It's the most important meal of the day. So on his way out and in his haste, in his hurry, he stopped by the fig tree expecting to find something to eat. We see in John chapter 4 that he went to the well, the woman at the well. He met her there because he was thirsty. 
We see that Jesus, when he was on the boat out in the Sea of Galilee during the storm, what did he do? He was sleeping because he was tired. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept because his friend Lazarus had died. When Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem, he was broken. He was brokenhearted and he wept over the condition of Jerusalem. Jesus was fully man because he exhibited all of these natures, these emotions, these physical pains. He needed food to sustain his body to continue throughout the day. Emmanuel, God with us, clothed himself in humanity and came down to be with us. So the dilemma here is he comes to the fig tree, he's hungry to eat, but he finds no fruit, fruitlessness, nothing but leaves on the trees. Jesus was looking for something productive. He was looking for something that would sustain him. He was looking for something that would benefit him in getting started for the day. So when you think about that, what does God look for when he looks at our lives? Just like Jesus looked at the fig tree expecting some type of produce off of it. Something productive from the tree. What was it there for? What was it created for? It was not fulfilling its purpose. And when God looks at a life, that's what he looks at. He says, are you fulfilling your purpose that you were placed here on this earth for? When he looks at a church, he says, why did I put you in this town? Why did I put you during this time? Are you fulfilling the purpose that I have placed you here for? And I think when God looks at our nation, we're, we're not God's chosen people. America is not God's chosen nation. But the whole purpose that we came here was for religious freedom and liberty. And I have to think that when God looks at our nation right now, he is brokenhearted because he sees complacency. He sees that we're losing our Christian values. He sees that we're losing our morals. And I have to think that if not already, at some point in time, God will completely remove his hand from our nation because he sees fruitlessness. So for our church... For our personal lives, what are the signs of life? What are the signs of vitality? What are the signs of vigorous growth? Write this verse down, Proverbs 11, verse 30. It says this, it says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. God's looking for something in your life. He's looking for something in my life. He's looking for something in our church, and he says, I want to see what you're doing to benefit other human beings. Just like that fig tree should have been producing fruit that would benefit others. The fruit was not highly sought after. It was known as the peasant's fruit. It was sometimes hard to harvest, even when it was ripe. But here's the dilemma. Jesus came looking for something in particular. And when he did not find what he was searching for, the outcome was not a very pleasant outcome. What is God looking for in an individual or a church or a nation? Write this verse down, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. You go back later on and highlight it. But here's what the Bible says the Lord is looking for. It says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal 
to him. He's looking for an obedient heart, first and foremost. He's looking for someone to say, here I am, send me. He's looking for someone that says, God, I hear you speaking to me. I know that what I'm doing is not right, but by faith I come to you and I ask you to give me direction. Give me mercy, give me forgiveness, and help me to fulfill the purpose that you have placed me here for. So here's the question that I want to leave you with. Here's the dilemma that we're in today in our nation. Are we being productive for God's kingdom in accomplishing what we were created to do? The next thing that we see in this passage is the, do- is the doom. Not only do we see the dilemma that Jesus finds himself in the fig tree in, but we also see the doom that comes about on the fig tree Because it's not doing what it was supposed to be doing. He saw the fig tree by the road. He came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered. As a prophecy, Jesus is casting judgment here on the religious leaders of his days. And it also serves as a warning to us as well. The tree had leaves. It it looked good. Visibly, Visibly he could see it from afar off. He could see that it was in full bloom. He could see that it was a fig tree. It had leaves on it. It was noticeable even from a distance. However, it was not doing what it was created to do. It just looked good. It was all about itself and not what it could provide for others. It was filled with pride and righteousness. Look at me. I'm a fig tree. I'm beautiful. I'm good to look at. Everyone notices me. I stand out in a crowd, but I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It was full of pride, and that's what it signified. That's the image that it displays. Someone who is filled with pride and self-righteousness, but not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. It says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I'm afraid that's where we're at as a nation One of the most richest, most powerful nations in the world were full of pride. And now it's leading to our demise. It's leading to our fall. This was no small bush that Jesus caused to wither. It was a large tree, yet in 24 hours it was noticeably changed. Mark records that it had dried up from the roots. Unproductivity led to its doom and destruction, stagnation, complacency, whatever you want to call it. It was just taking up space. It was taking care of itself, but it was not benefiting anyone else. So in Revelations chapters 1 through 3, Jesus goes and he speaks to the seven churches of Asia. And each one of them he gives a specific warning to But he's looking at what they're doing as a church. He says, I know your works. I know what you've done in the past. 
And I know what you're doing right now. Each and every one of those churches he had a specific warning to. But the first church he came to was a church at Ephesus. He says, I see what you're doing. You have left your first love. You're not doing what you were created to do. And it's going to lead to your doom. If you don't repent, he gave them a second chance. He gave them a clear warning. He says, I want you to repent because if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lamp from the lampstand. So do we ever see a time in history when God takes his hand completely off a person, a nation, a kingdom? We see it time and time again. And in the book of Revelations 1 through 3, he gives that specific warning to each and every one of those churches. He says, hey, you better shape up. You better start producing something for God's kingdom. You better start doing what you were created to do or else the outcome is not going to be pleasant. So here, Jesus uses this fig tree not only to perform a miracle, not only to teach the disciples a lesson, but to give a clear prophecy to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. He finds no fruit on the tree and it brings judgment to the tree. Not only do we see a dilemma, not only do we see the doom, but we also see the doubt from the disciples. Verse 20, you would think that by now, after everything that they had seen, they had been with Jesus for three solid years. And just think about it, for for nine weeks now, we've discussed the miracles of Jesus. We've talked about the compassion of Christ. We've talked about all these miraculous events that he performed. A miraculous catch. He he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Anywhere between 8,000 and 10,000 people with a little boy's sack lunch. He's healed the blind. He's made the lame to walk again. So many miracles that the disciples got to see. And John even records at the end of his gospel. He said, you know, if I would have recorded everything that we saw, the world would not contain the books that would hold them. So you would think that by now that nothing would take the disciples by surprise. But it says that when they came back the next day and they saw that the fig tree was withered, all the way down to the roots, it says that they were amazed. Verse 20, it says, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away? Here's the thing, faith and doubt can never, ever exist together. And I'm afraid that our lack of prayer in the church today is directly linked to our doubt. It's one of the things we talked about specifically in Sunday school this morning. When when we need it, when we bring a need before the Lord, do we truly believe with all of our heart That he is able to deliver. Do we truly believe that every situation that comes before us. Do we take it to the Lord with the confidence and faith of saying that I know he can. And I know he will. Because that's how Jesus ends this this lesson with his disciples. He talks specifically about what kind of faith it takes to perform these types of acts. So here's the thing. 
Either you believe that it can happen or you don't believe at all. There's no middle ground. When you bring a need before the Lord, you've got to believe with all your heart, Jesus, you are the only one capable of handling this. I can't do it on my own. The religious leader in this morning's Sunday school lesson, when he humbly came before the Lord, his daughter had died. And he came before Jesus saying that very thing. Jesus, nobody else can help me right now but you. So as best as I can, with as much faith as I can, with as much hope as I can, I humbly bow down before you. Lord, would you please bring my daughter back? And Jesus did. Jesus saw his faith and he saw his level of belief. And I'm afraid that that's why we don't have as many people attending Wednesday night prayer meetings as we do. Well, you know, I can pray from the house. Yes, you can. But there's just something about getting together with someone else or another group of people and praying over a very specific need. And here in a little while, after the invitation is over, I'm going to present a very specific need to you that I want all of you to pray about. Don't let me forget. So we see the level of doubt in the disciples that this should not have taken them by surprise. And far too often in our faith, even though we've seen God move in mighty and miraculous ways, hey, I believe he saved my soul from hell. I didn't see it happen, but I believe Jesus hung on the cross and died. He shed his blood for my sins. And I believe with all my heart that he's coming back to get me one of these days. Can anybody say amen to that? If I believe that, what keeps me from bringing my smallest issue before him? And through faith, confidently thinking that he's going to be able to take care of that. And that he hears my prayers. But these disciples, after all that they had seen, they saw this fig tree withered away. They said, how how can this be? How, How did you do that, Jesus? And that leads to Jesus teaching them about where their dependency needs to be. Where's your dependency at? Do you really depend on the Lord to provide for you everything that you need? Not everything that you want, but everything that you need. When Jesus hears their doubt, he says, here's where you need to be dependent upon me. Where's your dependency level at right now? In your relationship with the Lord. Jesus hears their doubt. And in verse 21 he answers them. He said to them. Assuredly. Aren't you glad we got a God that we can depend on? Not, not that, he doesn't just say you know. You know I, I might be able to take care of that. Well I, I could take care. Maybe you need to ask a little bit more. Maybe you need to ask a little more often. But Jesus tells the disciples there, he says, assuredly, he says, I promise you, you can bank on this. Assuredly, I say to you, and here's the conditional clause. It's an if-then statement. He says, assuredly, I say to you, if, if you have faith and do not doubt, You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, 
But also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and it will be cast into the sea. Where's your faith at right now? Is your faith a bold faith? Or is it a desperate faith? Are you banking on the promise that Jesus says, assuredly, if you don't doubt, if you respond by faith, if you trust in me, if you do what I'm asking you to do, not only are you going to be able to make this tree wither, but you'll be able to speak to this mountain and say, be removed. And his implication here is that this mountain has to obey you. It has to get out of your way. And you can tell it to move, and it's going to move. Is that the assurance that you have right now? Is that how much you depend upon the Lord to move and respond to your prayers? That's the lesson that he's driving home to his disciples right now. He's saying, look, boys, you have seen me to do much more than this. Don't doubt. But he says, assuredly, I promise you, I guarantee you that if you live by faith and if you don't doubt, you're going to be able to do the same thing as well. What is God looking for? God is looking for believers who will march down here to this pew, who will march down here to this altar during a time of prayer and say, assuredly, I have God's promise that if I respond by faith and I don't doubt, that God will do great and mighty things through my life with my petition and respond to my prayers. He's looking for believers with a bold faith that can and will accomplish what they were created for. So Jesus made this fig tree wither away. It's a sign of destruction. This is the only miracle that he performs that has a negative impact on anything other than casting the demons into the swine and making them run off of the cliff. But he's doing it for a reason. He's doing it for a prophecy. He's doing it as a teaching parable. He's also doing it as a miracle to demonstrate to his disciples that if they live by faith and if they don't doubt, they can accomplish some of the same things. And after the day of Pentecost, you think about everything that Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples did. I mean, it wasn't long after Pentecost, Peter was telling the lame man to to rise up and walk again. He didn't just stand up. He leapt up and he began walking. People would follow the apostle Paul around, thinking that maybe even if his shadow would pass over them, that some miracle would happen. Jesus passed on that power to his disciples. But he said, this kind of faith comes only but by prayer and by fasting. Once again, Jesus is looking for your level of faith to perform a miracle. So we see the dilemma that's taking place by this fig tree not producing any fruit. We see the doom that comes upon it because it's being unproductive. We see the doubt that the disciples speak of by asking this question. We also see Jesus telling them where their dependency needs to be. But the final thing that we see is the declaration 
that Jesus makes at the end of this lesson. Here's Jesus' teaching point for his disciples. Here's the whole purpose for him performing this miracle. Here's the declaration that he makes. This was one of his last teaching points before going to the cross. Assuredly, if you have faith and do not doubt. Verse 22, he adds to it, he says, Whatever things you ask for in prayer, believing you will receive. What is the formula that he's given here? Ask, believe, and receive. Ask is your first sign of faith. I have enough faith to bring this petition before the Lord. I honestly believe with all my heart, I'm not doubting whatsoever, that not only he can do this, but he will do this. And then you believe. You believe that God is going to respond to that prayer. And then you receive it by faith. Assuredly, if you have faith and do not doubt, And for the last time, he points to the matter of faith and prayer. And all throughout his ministry, he not only taught them about prayer, but he exhibited how important prayer was. By getting up early every morning and spending time with the Father. And when they ask him specifically, Jesus, where does your power come from? He says, because I get along with God. And I spend time talking to him about what's going on, what I'm facing, and I prepare myself for the day. What, what are your first steps for the day? Where is your dependency level on? Do you depend on the Lord that much to where you say, I can't even get up and start my day before I talk to the Lord? I, I can't even begin talking to other people before I talk to the Lord. Talking to men about Jesus is very, very important. And I encourage everyone, if you've never shared your faith, find someone that you can talk to about the Lord. But you go to the Lord first and talk to him. God, give me the words to say. Give me the boldness. Give me the faith. Give me the strength. Give me the words that I can't think of. Help me to speak with clarity in a way that they will understand the message of your love for them. The declaration that Jesus makes, whatever things you ask in prayer. Let's just get real honest about it. How many of you really believe that prayer works? Let's see a show of hands. All right. That's pretty much a majority, I would have to say. Do you really think that you spend enough time in prayer? Do you spend as much time as prayer as you think you should? I know I don't. Is that a measure of your faith? Would you be up here with your prayer life? Would you be in the middle? Or would you say, you know, it's really not that important in my life right now? Because here's the declaration that Jesus makes, this overall lesson. Whatever things you ask for in prayer. I thank God that he doesn't just give me only what I ask for. 
He wants to lavish me with his love and his blessings. Why he does, I don't know. I haven't got that part figured out yet. But I know he's blessed me way more than I deserve. And a lot of times he gives me things that I've never even thought about asking for. So what if God only gave us the things that we asked for? Will we be spiritually bankrupt? Would be, will we be deprived? Would we miss out on many blessings? But just think if we began asking for things that we've never even considered before. Bringing those little matters to the Lord through faith and not doubting one bit that he hears my prayer and he can and will answer my prayer. And this is a promise from Jesus right here because when he says assuredly, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I promise you, I guarantee you, if you have faith, he doesn't say you have to have a great amount of faith. He says, if you have a faith as a grain of mustard seed, all you got to do is speak to this mountain. What are the mountains in your life right now? What are the things that are standing before you? What are some obstacles maybe that you have in your way? Is it health? Is it a relationship? Is it some type of addiction? Well, Jesus is saying if you have an obstacle like that, if you have a mountain in your way, if you have something that is keeping you from getting to where you need to be, you speak to it. You say, get out of my way. I don't want you in my life no more. And according to Jesus' word, it says he has to be removed. Whatever that mountain may be. Whatever that giant that is that's standing before you. Is it doubt? Because that's one thing that the disciples came to Jesus and addressed him. He said, Lord, we want you to increase our faith. The more you trust him, the more you walk with him, the more you talk with him, and the more you get into his word and see these promises like this, that's how your faith increases. That's how your faith grows. And that's how your life begins producing that spiritual fruit that he's looking for. Are you closely connected to the true vine today? Are you drawing from the strength that only Jesus can give you? Now here's the question. For a child of God, that that should come naturally. Just the way that we breathe in and breathe out, just as naturally as that occurs. That's how naturally prayer should take place for us. Not, Not just in the morning when you get up, but throughout the day. Now, I wouldn't recommend driving down the road and closing your eyes and going to the Lord in prayer at that time. But if you ride with me, uh, you might consider that from time to time. Or you may ride with somebody else that you know. That increases your prayer life right away. If you've ever ridden with a teenage driver, that probably increases your prayer life. But all the little events that we go through throughout our day, how automatically do we respond in prayer? God, I just got this bill in. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Do you begin talking to him about things like that? Do you ever get into a situation where you really don't have the answer for? God, I, I need your direction in this area. He says, if you'll do that, assuredly, if you believe and if you don't doubt, 
he's going to respond to that kind of faith. The other kind of faith that he responds to is someone who has never entered into a relationship with him before. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you believe in God. But maybe you have never trusted in him with your salvation, with your eternal destination. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man to once die, and then after this, the judgment. Just like the fig tree, at some point in time, you're going to stand before the Lord. The first thing that he's going to look for is, what did you do with my son Jesus? I provided him as a living sacrifice for your sins. He died on the cross. He wore a crown of thorns. He took a beating from a Roman soldier. And then he poured out all of his blood so that you can have forgiveness of his sins. What have you done with that? Have you made a decision to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior? And then if you've been born again, he's going to look at your life. What have you done over the course of your life? I called you to go minister to this one person. Did you respond? I've called you to be involved in this ministry. Did you obey? He's looking for an obedient heart. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Where is the fruit? Are you producing any type of spiritual fruit. I know it's Father's Day and this wasn't a real um, thematic sermon geared towards that. But here's what I'd have to think of. The Bible talks about a man of God being like a tree that is planted by the rivers of many water that brings forth its fruit during season and his leaves wither not. Are you drawing from that living water that only Jesus Christ can supply in your life? Think about it right now. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you've humbly knelt down before the Lord, asked Him to forgive you of your sins, and then give Him full control of your life? If you can't think of a time like that, I would ask you to consider doing that today. In just a moment as the music begins, the altars are going to be open. That'll be a time of invitation. It'll be time for you to respond to what you have heard through this message. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I ask you, don't leave this building until you do so. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity at, if you say, Brother Tracy, I think I might go to heaven, The Bible says you can know for sure, and you can start that today. You can make that decision today. Perhaps you are a born-again believer. Perhaps you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you are a Christian, you are a child of God, but your faith just doesn't reflect it at this moment. And you want to go deeper with your faith. I would say come up here to this altar and make a commitment. Say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to live without any doubt. Fully trusting in you every step of the way. That ministry that you've called me to be a part of, I'm going to commit fully to it. 
Let this time of invitation be a time of commitment. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We just thank you so much, Lord, for all that you're doing. We thank you for this example that you've given to us, Lord God, about how we can live our lives with no doubt, fully trusting in you with that promise of assuredness that comes through a relationship with you. But most of all, Lord God, that we can make a commitment to serve you with all of our lives. We can live by faith, Lord God, that you've got our every step ordered throughout our lives. And I pray, Lord God, if there's any one person here that's struggling with a salvation decision, if they don't know for sure where they're going to spend eternity, I pray, Lord God, that this invitation time, they would settle that decision in their hearts and trust you with their lives. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.